Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Aschuti, Tulane University Freeman School of Business professor and director of the Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. You may be listening to me from anywhere in the world on your podcast app, or you might be listening to me on the radio on WWNO here in New Orleans. What difference does it make how you listen to this or any other show? The interesting thing is it doesn't make any difference to you But it does make a difference if you own the radio station. You see, commercial radio survives on advertising, which is targeted at a local audience. Podcast listeners are anywhere in the world. So an ad for Coca-Cola works great on both mediums. But an ad for a local po'boy shop isn't going to do the po'boy shop much good if a big chunk of listeners are loving a podcast from thousands of miles away. And that's just one of the many financial issues facing radio as it continues to transition from broadcast to on-demand in the middle of a pandemic that is changing how we do pretty much everything, including making radio out of our homes, which is what I'm doing right now. It might be difficult enough for me trying to sound authoritative from the front room while the guy with the leaf blower is about to start up across the street, But imagine how much more difficult things must be for Kevin Cassidy, the Senior Executive Vice President and Market Manager for Entercom here in New Orleans. Entercom is the company that owns the city's dominant talk station, WWL, as well as powerhouse music stations Bayou 95.7, Magic 101.9, B97, and Hot 92.9. Kevin Cassidy, it's a pleasure to meet you and welcome out to lunch. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. It's not just people who make radio who have been affected by the pandemic. All of us are, in one way or another, working differently now, if we're working at all. But of all the careers you could think of that have been changed radically by the pandemic, it would be hard to find a career that has been affected as much as that of my other lunch guest today, Anne Parnes. Anne is a matchmaker. She's the founder of a company called Match Made in New Orleans. It's the opposite of online dating. Anne provides a very specialized service in which she herself personally finds partners and introduces them to each other. Anne Parnas, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Kevin, I'm seeing what appear to be conflicting reports on the effect of the pandemic on radio listening habits. On the one hand, NPR reported that its own overall listenership had dropped by about 25%, presumably because people are no longer commuting as much as they did. On the other hand, I've seen commercial radio claims that listenership has, quote, unquote, skyrocketed. Could both of these claims be true? Could a large chunk of the public radio audience have switched to rocking out with Cardi B? Or is it more likely that the claims of commercial radio listenership going through the roof are at best optimistic an interpretation of a small subset of listeners, say males aged 22 to 24 with one leg. 
In your honest and expert opinion, what is the current state of commercial radio as a result of the pandemic? Well, from a listener standpoint, there is no doubt that you know what took place here in March and across the country affected everyone's you know li- life, livelihood, workplace habits. Um, you know, you just looked out on the on the roads, and obviously there weren't many cars. And you know, our in-car listening is a big part of our audience, as is in-office or at-work uh, listening. And both those things were disrupted on a massive scale. Um, so yeah, early on, absolutely, it was affected dramatically by it. But as time has gone on, we've found that as much as 90% of the audience levels are back, depends on, again, demographics and cities and formats. You know, the, the, the music stations, for instance, we have Magic 101.9, has definitely been more, way more impacted than WWL, whose audience is actually up because people want more news and information. Um, so, you know, it makes sense that there would be some variances by format. Um, but people are settling into new habits and they still need entertainment. And so you're seeing the music stations coming back now to the levels pretty close to where they were pre-pandemic. And Kevin, uh, my interpretation has always been that radio was a little bit more nimble uh, when things change quickly like this than other media. Is that right? Uh, we pride ourselves on that. I mean, the fact of the matter is we can, you know, pretty much change anything we want on a dime and often do. Um, but for a station like, you know, Magic that is has struggled, there's no doubt, is, um, you know, we're making morning drive, we're shifting to a more of a information-based morning drive where we're talking more, you know, the, sh- the station really serves women 35 to 54 primarily. So we're having more conversations on there about what's going on in their world, whether it's um, what's going on with the kids and going back to school or how do, how do moms survive the summer, et cetera. Whereas before it was music intensive. People need more information now and uh, the music is not quite as important as it used to be. And as I understand it, your matchmaking business works in the traditional way. Someone comes to you looking for a partner and you personally go out looking for someone to match them with. In other words, instead of a person going to parties and bars hoping to run into somebody to fall in love with, you do it for them. I have to say, that does sound like a pretty awesome job. But with social gatherings limited to a handful of people who have to maintain social distancing, plus the likelihood that people are probably wary of going on dates with complete strangers, what options are there for you to stay in business over this time? Actually, my business model hasn't been impacted as much as you might think, even though I did I used to attend a lot of functions and networking events. Um, most of how I like to recruit is personally through contacts that I know I reach out and say, this is the kind of person I'm looking for. You know, who might you know? Um, I've also kind of gathered a large database of people who want to be considered as matches. So, and that volume is up. I think um, people are probably Googling alternatives to online dating right now and finding me. So I have that database. I reach out to contacts. I stalk LinkedIn and Facebook and every other social media outlet. And um, I just arrange coffees with different people, um, whatever their comfort level is, whether it's you know indoor coffee shops or outdoor coffee shops. So it hasn't impacted me too tremendously in that way. Just generally, what is dating like? I mean, you can't, you're wearing a mask. You don't know if they have teeth. I mean, uh, how do you... <laughs> What's going on logistically? Well, I get to check that out for you, luckily. So <laughs> there will be no surprises like that if I'm setting you up. Um, but, you know, when I meet people, I, I do need to see them. And so many 
I've never had an issue where somebody wore a mask when we were talking and I'm fine with taking a walk at the park together or sitting down for a cup of outdoor coffee. But um, obviously I need to see what somebody looks like before I can kind of present them to my client. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it is what it is. We, Anne, were you one of those people that just kind of had a knack for it anyway? Like we you have like a lot of successes of before you even turned it into a business? I've always enjoyed doing it. I think probably since fifth grade is as far back as I can remember. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I like connecting people, you know, friendships. And if I know someone looking for a position, a career position, I just think that if you can help somebody find something they're looking for and you have the skills for it, why not? Is there a shortage of males or eligible males or good males? I don't know how we define these. <laughs> Statistically, supposedly there aren't, but there is... Um, there is a challenge in finding them both for ordinary women who are uh, single and dating and even as a matchmaker that is um that's a tougher demographic for me also but they're out there and uh i hope that this will help me find the good ones um kevin what i was thinking about is the shift in advertisers uh um, for instance we're seeing something where big companies let's say wall street is doing very well but small companies small mom and pops aren't. Are you seeing a shift towards more advertising from those big multinationals? Yeah, I mean, the, the national advertisers are a significant portion of our business. You know, we're probably all exhausted with seeing Geico and Progressive and, you know, et cetera, on down the road. Um, the Walmarts, you know, uh, but it's, it's sort of always been that way. The thing that does concern us, though, is that there is this... Uh, gap between the haves and the have-nots, and the pandemic has obviously, you know, I think allowed the bigger players, A, to stay open, and B, frankly, to attract more business. And it's been very, very difficult on, um, you know, local retailers. Um, the restaurant trade is really challenged here. Um, you know, I'm sitting here at 400 Poitras at the corner of Magazine, and I can look out to the right and see the quarter, and you know, it's, it's many days, it's like a movie set, except they're not filming anything. You know, it's just, it's very, very quiet down here without conventions, without festivals, without Saints home games, without cruise ships coming in and out of here. And, and it really concerns me, you know, but yet if you go to Walmart on a Saturday, I mean, not heck, I was at Trader Joe's in the line that goes around the block on Sunday, you know, some people are doing really well and, and others are really struggling. And, and there is a disconnect, obviously, between Wall Street and Main Street. And, um, and that's a concern for us because it's a big part of our business. Um, you know, basically, people that do business in New Orleans, whether they do it regionally or nationally, you know, we can help anybody of any size. But, you know, when they're struggling, it, it flows to us. And, and Kevin, what is it like you mentioned doing business in New Orleans? First of all, you grew up in the business. Your dad was in the, the radio business and such. Um, uh, and you lived in a lot of cities, big cities. Uh, how does New Orleans, doing business in New Orleans differ from, say, New York and L.A.? Uh, it's radically different. <laughs> it's, um, I prefer it primarily just because down here, people expect to have a relationship with you, which probably works well for Anne, too. Um, you know, they want that one-on-one um, that they know who the person is behind the relationship. And so that gives me as, you know, as a marketing partner, the opportunity to get in front of someone who's going to A, make the decision and B, write the check. 
And that's very valuable, I think, for both parties, just because you, you know, you're able to determine what, what your needs are and how we're going to satisfy those needs. When you're in big cities like New York and L.A., oftentimes there's just levels of gatekeepers that you just really struggle to get past. And it's an impediment to everybody's success. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Kevin Cassidy from Entercom the company that owns radio stations, WWL, Magic 101.9, B97, and others. And matchmaker Anne Parnes from Match Made in NOLA. And Anne, how do you get, um, to be blunt, how do you get paid? And are there different uh, <laughs> price levels, uh, like for people of different ages and things like that? How does all that work, Anne? Um, I, it's more levels of service that I have. My top share service, I work with about 10 or 12 clients at a time because it's the most intensive service. And, um, for people who are busy professionals and really know that they've kind of been doing things wrong and, and uh, need a change. And so it includes coaching and the matchmaking. I get to know them and I, I do this for all the clients and figure out sort of what their needs are, who would be an ideal partner for them. Um, think about their past history and, you know, their daily routines, things like that. And then I go out and, um, either for six months or 12 months recruit for them. I interview everybody in person, obviously, and then I'll set them up on a date if I think that uh, it's worthwhile introducing them and if they agree. Uh, so that, and that includes the coaching and feedback. I get lots of feedback on clients on things we need to be working on. I get feedback as to, you know, how that match went and what they thought and maybe what I'm missing, what I could do better with. Um, and also I think there are things they learn along the way that they want to address. So we go with that. And then I have a new level of service that I uh, introduced just this past week. And that is uh, the kind of almost like a a la carte, service that it's a yearly membership that I'm doing for a kind of VIP database. And uh, I'll also meet everybody in person as part of that so that I can figure out, you know, who it is they're looking for. And then within that database search for matches. So I won't be doing, like I said, the LinkedIn recruiting and the you know, social events, and all that, but it'll be within the sizable database. And many of those people aren't on dating apps. And when I think I have a match, then I'll inform them and they will, kind of pay if they both want to do it they'll pay per match and go up for dinner and it'll include their dinner so that's the newest service so it's not like you meet a potential client and think boy this is a long shot i gotta really charge them a lot i don't do that if i don't think i can if if i don't think we're going to be successful i just tell them that it's not a good time for us to work together because that's the worst thing in this business to over promise and under deliver and keep you up at night when someone's kind of heart is on the line not a place you want to disappoint anybody. No, and how do you judge success? Is it marriages or is it just something else? Yeah, I guess there are many ways to do it. I don't do it by marriages. I go to like a lot of conferences with other matchmakers and we network and I think the standard industry definition is a, a relationship lasting six months or more. So, you know, obviously we prefer to have marriages or, or longer term relationships, whatever that means, you know, but um, I think that's what we qualify as success. Can you imagine that? A conference of matchmakers? It's that amazing. Be, really, if you couldn't meet it's somebody amazing. there, I mean, it's a <laughs> business. They, uh, Kevin, um, one thing I've heard a lot in 40 years of business is that um, advertising is the kind of the first thing to go in a budget and the first thing to come back. Uh, are you, do you find that? And where, do we, where are we now in that? Yeah, we're, we're definitely a leading indicator. I mean, you know, I can tell you, without sharing actual numbers that, um, you know, March, April, and May, you know, we have a client, River Parish, you probably heard their tagline, our business stinks, but it's picking up. <laughs> it's my favorite. 
Um, so yeah, Q2 was brutal. I mean, it just, it was, you know, people just, they were scared, they weren't open. And, and the first thing to go, of course, is advertising because there's not really a, a hard cost to it. It's not people, it's not rent, it's not parking, et cetera. So we experienced a, a deep decline that we have been sort of digging our way out of and it's getting better month after month and we're showing uh, positive growth um, off of Q2. You know, we're now into Saint season, which is big for us in WWL. Uh, we also carry LSU, which is another big driver of our revenue and they're gonna start up later this month. And we're gonna have an election uh, November 3rd, um, thank the Lord. And um, so that can drive revenue as well. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna start seeing television where literally you're gonna be looking at it and going, I can't believe it's just one political ad after another, but we're headed there. And it'll be you know six, eight weeks of that or whatever, how much time we have left. Um, and, and, and so you know, all of those things drive demand and increase rates and increase revenue. Uh, so that's good, um, but I'm, you know, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that it's been a really, really challenging year from a revenue standpoint. Kevin, do you think, um, how do you view podcasts? Do you view them as competition or uh, something that might even help drive your business? Well, we view them as an extension of our business. I mean, if you go on our websites, um, you know, some of the talent uh, has dabbled in that. It's hard to get critical mass if you know, I'm being frank about it, in a market of this size, there's a million people here. You know, frankly, you probably need to have five to 10,000 downloads a month as a podcaster to be able to monetize it at any level. And even that would have to be in somewhat of a niche. But we, the company has seen the explosive growth of podcasting. And so over the last two years, Intercom purchased Cadence 13 and Pineapple Studios um, they have some very, very successful podcasts, including Ronan Farrow's Catch and Kill, Pod Save America. There's also some partnerships on the B2C side with Nike and HBO. But just to give you an idea of the magnitude of our podcasting business, last month we had 160 million downloads of podcasts. And so it's a huge business. Advertisers, you know, they want engagement. They want your attention. And let's face it, if you're going to go to the trouble of finding an app and downloading a podcast and you're going to listen to it, you're really into it for whatever reason. And they've done a good job of weaving the uh, advertiser's message into the content and people stick through it. And, and they, um, they reward those advertisers for the fact that most of those podcasts are free, but they really appreciate the entertainment value or the information or what comes through. And it's, it's a very compelling model that's working extremely well for those advertisers. I mean, look, they wouldn't be there if it didn't, it's not cheap. And, um, and that division is doing really, really well. And, uh, and Kevin mentioned politics here a second ago. Is that one of the, uh, I would think that would be one of the key questions when you're uh, trying to match people up, right? It is. I mean, I always ask for some people that's more important than for others. It's, it's really polarizing, obviously, in terms of uh, making matches. But there are some people who, while they have strong opinions, they're not, they're fine with having counter opinions in the same relationship. But that's few and far between. <laughs> so not everybody's uh, James Carville and Mary Madeline. They can, right. you know, right. survive that. that that's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that coaching. Uh, this is kind of thing you always wish you had, like when you were 18 years old. Or what, what do you coach them on? 
it really depends on kind of where they are, they, where they want to go. I have some people who um, we decide they're better off doing the dating apps. And so I might help them with setting up their profiles and messaging and photo selection. <clears throat> uh, there are other people who keep choosing kind of the same type of partner again and again. So we work with them on figuring out who that partner is and why they're, why they're doing that and to spot them um, at the outset and avoid them if that's what they want to do. Um, for others, it's communication. Um, just whatever they've struggled in in other relationships has kind of gotten in their way. If they are self-reflective enough or at least open-minded enough to explore that, then I think um, building that awareness is the first step and that's what we do and kind of go from there. How do you explain to somebody the difference uh, between what you do and what traditional online dating is and why it's better? I think it's different. You know, if people have the time and energy to devote to online dating, there's nothing wrong with it. The, the volume is there. So I think if you're willing to put in the work and really kind of think about who you're looking for and that, what that might translate to online, you can do it. But it's, um, it takes a lot of time and energy and you have to be okay with rejection and all of that. And many times people get frustrated because the person they think they're meeting um, looks completely different or sounds completely different than they expect, a number of things. But um, I think with working with me, I kind of I would say I have your first date for you. So there are no surprises, right? And if somebody acts erratically or in some way that I think is going to uh, really lead to a terrible night, I'm not going to make that introduction. So I can't always predict chemistry, but I haven't had any terrible date stories. Um, I think you more know what you're getting in some sense. And I do keep it pretty vague because I like for people to get to know each other on the spot rather than go look them up and find one detail they might not like about them and form an opinion before they even have a chance to meet them. Hey, Kevin, I got to ask you about the back to the politics question. What do you do? I mean, do you know that, um, uh, that WWL skews towards Republican and how does that affect, uh, you know, what ads you put in there? How's that fit, get into the mix? Um, well, we do a lot of audience research. So yes, our audience definitely leans conservative, but so does the state, although the city doesn't. Um, and, you know, there, not only do we have demographics and sort of psychographics as well and, and political leanings, um, but we also have ethnic um, research as well. And, and so, you know, while the metro for New Orleans is ultimately 31% African-American, it's 30% of WWL's audience. Um, and, and frankly, there's some of the longer, more passionate listeners that we have. They call in more uh, on a per capita basis than other, um, other groups do. Um, and so it's, you know, it's an interesting dynamic because it's talk radio, obviously, the evolution of it in the last 30 years. I mean, you know, it's gone from, you know, back in my dad's day when he was running radio stations in the 60s and 70s, they used to have a rule on air, no politics and no religion. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's basically what talk radio is entirely about these days. Um, but they were afraid of controversy and they were afraid of advertiser backlash and they were just afraid of people would, would tune it out because they felt it was uncomfortable because it was conflict. And now, I mean, dear Lord, the more conflict, the greater the engagement, um, and therefore, the longer the listening and the better the ratings and, uh, you know, the dynamic has, has changed radically in, in our lifetimes and less. And, 
So while we don't necessarily play to one tribe, um, you know, it's sort of the beauty of WWL. It's, you know, if you, there are other stations in town that are purely conservative and there are, there are some that are a little more, probably more leaning liberal. You know, we try to reflect what's going on in the Gulf South. And that's the other cool thing about being here. You know, I, I was in Dallas, was my last stop before I got here. It's a top five market, but there's no news in that town. There's nothing going on. And you come down here and you say it's market, media market 48. And dear Lord, it's like, we can't, we can't, we don't have enough time to talk about it all. It's, it's arkable, this place. Um, and, and so that, that part of it's very invigorating to be, you know, we're like, we're in hurricane mode right now, you know, and, and we're FEMA's partner when anything, ever anything goes down, you know, we're live and local 24 seven, we have cots out in the newsroom, um, you know, people spending the night here, we have to bring in food. I mean, it's, it's a significant operation, um, but it's exciting to be a part of it. So you're not all from home the way, uh, the way we are. You, you got yeah. people coming in. Okay. There's a, I guess if there's anything good to come out of this pandemic, it's an appreciation of any number of things that we've taken for granted. Among them, the way we go about doing something as simple as going to work, uh, who would have ever thought that sitting in a cubicle or a radio studio would be anywhere near dangerous, much less life-threatening? And who would have thought that going on a date with someone would fill you with greater fear than the thought of spending the rest of your life with that person? We are indeed living in strange times. Anne and Kevin, it's been insightful and fun to learn about what you're dealing with. Uh, thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Ann Parnas, the founder of Match Made in NOLA, and Kevin Cassidy, Senior Vice President and Market Manager at Entercom. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here at WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Ann's matchmaking and Kevin's radio stations by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's neworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. At some point, we're going to go back to hosting Out to Lunch around the real world lunch table. For right now, Commander's Palace is open for dinner seven nights a week and jazz brunch on the weekends. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 